Let us pray. Gracious and mighty Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, for the gentle rain that has fallen overnight and for the rains that will come. Father, we thank you that uh, in your grace we also receive uh, through baptism uh, water that comes down upon us and cleanses us and refreshes us and regenerates us and gives us life. We thank you, Father, that today we, we go into your word and, we, and, and we'll talk about what baptism means, but most of all, Father, what you do through it. Not what we do, but what you do through it by your power. We thank you for uh, Emmett Hall and uh, for his uh, baptism that we will uh, be witnessing next week in this service. And we pray, Father, you will bless him and keep his family this week. And Father, uh, for all the blessings that you give us, for all the protections, for all the healings, Father, for the, uh, for the peace and the joy that can come only through you, we give you thanks this day. And Father, may we truly be yours in every sense of that word. Yours, Father, owned by you, transformed by you. You, Father, are our destination. You, Father, are our guide to the way home. And we pray this day, O Father, that you would be glorified by all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And amen. If you'll join me in the prayer for guidance. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. The scripture this morning is from Romans 3, verses 6 through 11. But by no means, for when, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my falsehood God's truthfulness abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not say, as some people slander us by saying that we say, let us do evil so that good may come, their condemnation is deserved. What then, are we not any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under the power of sin, as it is written, there is no one who is righteous. Not even one. There is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. The word of God for the people of God. God. Well, I'm not sure which one of us is dyslexic, but I know it's not Sandy. She followed what was in the bulletin and what was given to her. It was supposed to be Romans 6, 3 through 11, but it said Romans 3, 3 through 11. Uh, now, I will say this, and, and you can see up on the uh, screen there, which I prepared that, so it's 6, 3 through 11, but obviously sometimes things get mixed up. Yeah, you just went by what you had. So, uh, But that's fine. I was sitting there wondering, is this going to end like in some awkward non-climatic, confusing verse, it could have, but it actually was fine, and it told us a truth, a, a little 
uh, different truth from what I had intended. Romans 6, 3 through 11, on the other hand, and I'm going to uh, uh, quickly uh, uh, read that to you now. Uh, Don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried together with him through baptism into his death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. If we were united together in a death like his, we will also be united together in a resurrection like his. This is what we know. The person that we used to be was crucified with him in order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. That way we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore because a person who has died has been freed from sin's power. But if we died with Christ, died with Christ in baptism, we have faith that we will also live with him through that baptism. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over over him. He died to sin once and for all with his death. But he lives for God with his life. In the same way, you also should consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive for God in Christ Jesus. So we've had two wonderful scriptures this morning. And one told us that none of us are righteous, right? That we are all in need of a Savior. We are all sinners in the need of a saving God in Jesus Christ. And so uh, this morning I want to talk to you about baptism. um, Not in the uh, sense I think that sometimes people talk about baptism. If I was in some churches, a sermon on baptism would be why we do it right and the other churches do it wrong. Why you shouldn't sprinkle why you shouldn't baptize infants. Why you uh, uh, should make sure that you dunk the person three times in the name of the Father once, the Son. There are Trinitarian uh, churches out there that do that in their baptisms. There are churches that believe by immersion only uh, pouring and sprinkling shouldn't be done. United Methodist Church, we say, we'll immerse, we'll pour, we'll sprinkle. There is scriptural uh, evidence for all those things. You can go back to Ezekiel about uh, the sprinkling of your blood upon us for a clean conscience. You can see examples of that use of, 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 of the mode of sprinkling. But we've said, in, in, in essence, because this has been such a divisive thing over the centuries in the church, when people get down to what I consider the least important aspect of baptism, and that is how we do it. And we forget that the most important thing about baptism is what God is doing. In our emphasis on the outward, we forget what is going on inside. That baptism is an outward experience or an outward sign of an inward grace. And the inward faith that is in people who submit to baptism or who bring their children forward and say, because we believe in the power of God, we are bringing our child and saying, we surrender this child to God. We want God to take this child's life In his hands. Because we cannot do it alone. We need God. And so we baptize people of any age. From zero to whatever the life limits are right now. We we will baptize anyone who comes to us. And says either I want my child to be part of the family of God this day. Or I want to be part of the family of God. So uh, this is where we're going to have our emphasis Not on all the things that divide us, but on what it is that unites us together as Christians around baptism. And I'm going to try to be a little briefer. It's a communion Sunday, and uh, so I may talk a little bit faster at times. 
And I'm also, of course, going to try not to yell at you, although it's hard sometimes not to be very passionate about this, uh, this topic. Have you ever been passionate about something in your life? Okay, I want to talk to the men for a minute. And I know that there are passionate women out there, women who get really passionate about some guy. But women, I want to tell you, in, in this uh, very calm and collected demeanor that men walk around with, acting like nothing touches us and we don't care about anything, and we're sitting there during the movie and we're clamping down on the tears, we don't want you to see that and all too. There are some emotional wrecks among us. Okay? I, I, I like to tell teenage girls, if I'm in a group of teenage girls, girls, be merciful to these guys. Don't tease them. Don't lead them on. Don't make fun of them when they ex- try to express how much they love you. You know, the guy may say, man, I, I love you as much as a full tank of gas in my Ford. You know? <laughs> you know? I love you as much as that pig that won me first prize at the fair. You know, I love, you know we, we're awkward about it, but deep down inside there's a passion there. And I've seen boys just fall apart. Not in front of the girl, but when they're by themselves. They just fall apart because this girl has rejected me. And rejection is a hard thing. For boys. So that passion that you bring back to that. If you've ever been passionate about someone, know this. That baptism is about the passion of God for you. From the very beginning, God loved us. He loved us enough to make us in His image. And to place us in the garden where we had all of our needs met. And yet He also gave us, because He loved us enough, the free will to make our own decisions. And you may have done that with the child at some point. They get to a certain age and you say, you know, I'm giving you the right now to make your own decisions. I think you're old enough for that. And you go, watch the child go off and they make the dumbest decisions. They don't go to your alma mater like they should have, right? Okay? They don't dress like you do, like they should. Uh, and, uh, you know, they hang around with the wrong crowd and they stop hanging around with you. But that's what God gave us. He loved us enough, just as we love our children, to say at some point I have to say, you make the decision. You be led by your heart. And I pray that your heart and my heart are one, but I'm taking that risk. And so God does that in the Garden of Eden. But immediately upon the fall, after telling them, informing them, these these are the things that have been brought into the world because of what you have done. That there will be toil. And there will be death. There will be pain in childbirth. All these things have entered the world because of this decision that you have made. These are the consequences. But God didn't abandon us there. He immediately sought to bring us back in through covenants with Abraham, with Moses, uh, with Noah. In First Peter it tells us that Noah and his family were saved by God through the water. And in the same way, we also are saved by baptism. Not as the cleansing of our bodies, our physical bodies, but the cleansing of our souls. And so God, from the very beginning we see in Genesis, begins to make up a plan, a course of action to bring us back to Him. 
And along the way, water pr- plays a, a dominant role. You know, in the beginning, it says that out of the darkness of the waters, God brought forth light. Out of, the, out of baptismal waters, God brings forth light. In the beginning, uh, in Genesis, we read about rivers playing an important role. Uh, it's a river that uh, Jacob and Esau are divided by, and Jacob has to make that decision to cross through that river to have reconciliation with his brother. In the same way, we have to make the decision to cross through the waters of baptism to find reconciliation with God. We have, of course, the children of Israel locked up in slavery for 400 years, four centuries in Egypt. And God has to lead them through the divided waters of the Red Sea into that wilderness, into freedom. And then through the wilderness, He leads them to the Jordan River where he again divides the water and they cross over into the promised land. All through the Bible, this use of water is dominant. And I could, I could go on with, with a dozen more illustrations of how water is used. And then we get into the New Testament and Jesus talks about, about streams of, of, of living water that come into our souls that God gives us. In Revelation, we're talked about the river of life that runs through heaven. Water is so important. And then we come to baptism. In, in the New Testament, we see that baptism over and over is associated with repentance and faith of coming into the church. And we're told that entire households were baptized. And this is our foundation for saying that little children and infants even should be brought in through baptism. Because they're part of the family of God. I love that the church I grew up in, we talked about the age of accountability. We were where the Bible speaks, we speak where the Bible is silent, we don't say anything. But I'll tell you what, we talked about the age of accountability all the time. But you know what? You can search all through the Scripture, you don't see that. There's nothing in the Scriptures that say that a person has to reach a, quote, age of accountability. And what that basically means is you have to be mature enough to understand the difference between right and wrong. You have to understand that you are a sinner before we'll baptize you. That's the age of accountability. It's not in the Scriptures. What is associated with baptism is faith. And as I said earlier, I believe it's either the faith of the person being baptized or the faith of those parents in God to say, I want this child to be part of your body of Christ. And what a terrible thing it is to me to say that children can't be part of this family until they reach some age where they're worthy of being in the family or able to make some decision. And I'll tell you this, I believe, and it's the same way with rest- when people restrict children from communion because they say, well, a child can't understand what's going on here. And I said, can anyone in this congregation understand what's going on at that communion table? I don't. I don't know the full implications of what's happening there. I don't understand why Jesus went to that cross and died for me and didn't simply erase the world and start over again. There's a lot I don't understand. But I come to the table anyways because it's not my role to understand It's my role to put my faith in God and to believe in His wisdom. And it's the same with baptism. I believe that it is not us who are doing the work there at all. But the work is God within us. And because we believe that we were all born with a sinful inclination into the world. The Old Testament tells us that we were born as sinners. 
Sometimes we call that original sin, and some churches interpret that, that we're, we're all guilty of the sin of Adam and Eve, but really what we are is we're victims of the sin of Adam and Eve. And not only is that a spiritual condition, but it's also a physical condition. It's a mental condition, because we know that many children are born when we see immediately it's obvious that this child has a particular uh, challenge in life. That there's something in them that the wiring or something hasn't happened right. I would say that's true for all of us. We've all fallen short. We're all sinners. The scriptures tell us that. We are all in need of a Savior. And baptism is the way that God has chosen to bring us in to His kingdom of salvation. Now, here's an interesting thought that I've had this week. I've had this thought before. I don't know that I really have shared it with you, but look on that table. Underneath those claws, there's bread and there's grape juice. When you come for baptism, what is there? Water. Just water. Simple things. Things that are available to people. And I wonder, why is it that God chose those two things to be what we call sacraments, to be those special things that where we receive God's grace in a very special way? And I believe it's because God wanted it to be easily available to all and universally available to all. And so He has given us something that that everybody can do. It doesn't require any special gift on our part. We don't have to study for years and years and years to gain entry, to pass a test into God's church. But it's simply to receive God's grace and to let that water be the sign of that. That's a magnificent thing. It's a wonderful thing to say that God is in control here and not us. And yet I've been around folks who will argue and argue and argue about how we should be baptized. It's not the how, folks, that matters. It's the who. Is God present? Is God present in that baptism? Now, one thing now here, as I thought through questions that people might have this week, one thing I hear a lot of is, well, baptism is our way of entering into the church, and that's true. I know when we interview people for ordination, very often it's a little frustrating that so many people will just leave it there. And we can't get them to say that baptism is the outward sign of God's regenerative power working within a sinner to transform them. That baptism is a sign that God's grace is now at work. That God's saving grace is upon this person. We've actually just sort of looked at it as entry into a group rather than salvation of a soul. But you can go back to John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. You can go into all of our uh, theological documents and you will see there that baptism is far more than just an entry into something. But it is a sign of the power of God in our lives to make a big difference. A transforming, eternal difference in us. Now I know that there are folks who go their whole lives and for whatever reason, they're not baptized. They may have been been in church all their lives. There's something there. I've known people who go their whole lives and have not had communion. My first church, I had a couple of folks who were like that. They had never shared in communion. They were well into their 80s because they didn't think they were worthy. 
Here's the wonderful thing about baptism and the communion table. It has nothing to do with your worthiness and everything to do with your trust in the one who alone is worthy. And so next week, uh, uh, I just about pointed over here, he was here just a minute ago, uh, Emmett Hall will be baptized. I have someone else later here in the summer we're going to be baptizing. Last week, uh, through our campus across the street, uh, three baptisms occurred. People are being brought into God's saving kingdom, being brought into the church, yes, but also being brought under the grace of God, that saving, transforming grace. And that's that's a thing to celebrate. Baptism just is an excuse for everybody to get dressed up and have a party afterwards. I'm not saying you shouldn't get dressed up or have the party. Yes, have the party. The angels are having a party. But it isn't just that. It's that depth of knowing the foundation of our life is now in Jesus Christ. One last thought I had this week, and then I'm going to conclude because um, I know you guys are limited. Not me. I could preach on all, all year. Although my voice would wear out eventually. What was that thought that I had? This week? No, no. I was thinking about how internally frustrating it is for me, and I try to control this to not exhibit it, when I'm working with people who are going to get married. They're going to have a wedding. Now, see, I'm looking at it pastorally and theologically and in all these ways, what the meaning of a marriage you know, it's a covenant relationship between God and two people. And you say that to the folks and they're going, yeah, and you know, they're checking their you know, time and their phones and all. And I've often said that when I'm talking during the wedding about what marriage is about, I have the sneaking suspicion that the couple is thinking about the honeymoon or the big party to follow. And see, what's tragic about that in a marriage and what's tragic about that when it comes to something like baptism is there are so... things that are so much deeper so that will sustain you through the years if you will take the time together and meditate on those things. What does it mean that we are now in a covenant with God? What does that mean, Roy? What does it mean that we're relying on God and not each other? You see too many people, they go into a marriage and they think, now we've got to rely on each other, and you find out the other person isn't reliable, and so you end the marriage. And over half of our marriages end up in divorce. And it's no wonder, because we have gone into it without true faith in God, without that, that faith as a couple that God is going to see us through. I was so, so proud of my daughter, the truck driver, yesterday. I shouldn't refer to her as my daughter, the truck driver. But uh, we're excited because she's getting close to the end of her training period. And uh, her uh, husband's going to be here this afternoon. He's, uh, he's been uh, teaming with the truck driver who happens to be from Stanton. He's been Californian. They've been all over the place. Happens to be from Stanton, Virginia, which is a wonderful coincidence. And so that guy's coming back here. Uh, and they're uh, ending their runs, and so he's going to drop him off here at the church. So if you see a tractor-trailer parked over here after the 11 o'clock service, that's my son-in-law being dropped off. 
But I was so proud of her on a Facebook post that she, isn't it wonderful? The only way we communicate with our kids is through Facebook sometimes. My, my daughter cry, uh, cries. She calls all the time too, maybe four in the morning. You know, she's driving, she's bored, she needs someone to keep her awake. But she, she talked about all the ways as she looked over her life, things that seemed disjointed, things that seemed disconnected, how her life made sense, how everything just seemed to come together in these wonderful ways, and she was talking about that. And I thought, you know, she didn't mention God, you know, she, but she didn't have to. You know, and I'm going to talk to her about that. I'm going to say, you know, that's God. That's God who's been doing that for you. It's God who's connecting the dots. I was so proud of her about that. But folks, baptism is the sign of our belief in our faith that God can connect the dots. And we're going to rely on Him. And we're going to praise Him for what He is doing in our lives. And we're going to stop depending for everything on our spouse who we blame for every bad thing in our lives. We're going to stop blaming, every, stop blaming everybody around us. And we're going to see in the world instead, even when the bad things happen, we can see God's grace and God's light at work, even in the bad. Just as when Jesus died on that cross for us. When everybody thought that Jesus was over, the Jesus movement was dead. When everybody disbanded and gave up, that God brought His saving light to us through that cross. Folks, life lived under the waters of baptism is the only way to live. The only way to live. And amen. I do want you, and this is a little addendum here, turn for a moment to page 36 in your hymnals. I mentioned ordination interviews. Sometimes we receive papers and we do the interviews and we try, we say to people, one of the questions we'll ask is, give us some Old Testament and New Testament references to baptism. And some people really struggle to come up with anything. They can't figure out where is anything related to baptism in the Old Testament. And right here in the in the uh, baptismal liturgy that many of these folks have heard over and over that was prayed at their own baptisms, it's, it, it, it gives you, you know, half a dozen illustrations. It says here that when nothing existed but chaos, God, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. And in the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. And after the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. And when you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Then uh, their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. Right there, over and over and over, seeing God working through water to save his people. And then it says, in the fullness of time you sent Jesus. And how was he nurtured and brought into life? In the water of a womb. And he was baptized by John, a baptism of repentance, and anointed by your spirit. And he called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection. And to make disciples of all nations. The final thing I'm going to say, that last part there, 
to, to participate in the baptism of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Romans, Paul talks about how we have been buried with Christ in baptism and raised to new life. That, to me, is the central illustration that we need to take with us of what has happened in baptism. We have died to our old selves and to sin, and we have been brought forth into new life and to live into that life until Christ returns for us. And amen. I know we're a few minutes over, and I'll, I'll catch a little grief for this, but uh, one thing that occurred to me, you may have the question, well, if I wanted to be a member of this church, but I was baptized in another church, or maybe the Catholic church, or a Baptist church, do I need to be baptized again? No, you are not baptized into the church, you are baptized into Jesus Christ. As long as you were baptized into Jesus Christ, the denomination uh, does not matter. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's our baptism. So I just want to make that clear to everybody. It's the same with the Lord's table. We don't ask you to show your identity card to prove you're a United Methodist. It's the Lord's table, and you go there to meet him, not to meet the bishop or to meet me there. It's the Lord's table. So I wanted to make that clear. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and rejoice that he is your God. And amen.